The first thing I want to be done is to get that piece of crap out of my ring. Don't just get him out of the ring, get him out of the WWF. Because I've proved, son, without a shadow of a doubt, you ain't got what it takes anymore. You sit there and you thump your Bible and you say your prayers and it didn't get you anywhere. Talk about your Psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. Steve Austin's time has come. And when I get the shot, you're looking at the next WWF champion. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. If your friends are nerdy and you are nerdy too, I want to talk to you. Friends talking nerdy. All right, so right now um, we're going to talk about something that's a bit of a passion for myself, and I know it is for Sterling. We're going to talk <laughs> about wrestling. Wrestling. Yeah. So... When's the first time uh, you remember watching wrestling? Uh, I was 10 years old, and I was watching it on UPN, which was super funny if you remember that uh, that network, but it was WWF. So I was watching WWF, and I saw uh, The Rock's debut fight for WWF which was really, really cool. Or it might not have been his debut fight, but it might have been when he like kind of rebranded himself. Well, I know SmackDown, um, that, that was the show on UPN, SmackDown, uh, it debuted just as he was becoming a, a, a good guy. Yeah. Um, the good guy version of The Rock that we know today. He, in late 97, I believe, no, 98, Eight. They had Survivor Series 98, and they um, had a tournament because the championship was vacated, and The Rock during that tournament was giving every indication that he was going to be a good guy, and then the McMahons were behind Mankind to win the title, but then they screwed Mankind, and The Rock became the corporate champion. Um, but the more he became a bad guy, the more audiences ended up loving him. It was a weird time in the business yeah. at that time because yeah. <laughs> everything that people did to be a bad guy in the past didn't work anymore. They, you know, wanted to be a good guy, but go ahead. Yeah. So I, I was watching uh, wrestling during that time. Uh, Mick Foley was Mankind. Uh, the Rock uh, was making his appearance. Um, you had the creation of, uh, oh man, what was that? That team with Triple H and X-Pac. The reformation of D-Generation X. D-Generation X. That was the best. Yeah. Like, the whole, the whole like, suck it thing, like, <laughs> was just making a huge movement through my, um, my, like, grade school. <laughs> All of that. And, uh, that was, like, when they were still kind of edgy. You know, they were able to say, like, swear words mm -hmm. on, on television uh, and it was always it was always really hard because my mom would if she caught me catch like she catch if she caught me cat uh, watching it, I just was grounded. So, <laughs> and it was funny because like you had um, oh man, what were their names? 
you had a lot of good tag team partners at that time. You had the Hardy Boys. Um, Edge and Christian, the yes. Dudley Boys, uh, Too Cool, so good. the APA. They were good. Ooh. Um, yeah, the early in that era that you might have still seen the Headbangers for a bit. I'm trying to remember the guy's name. He he was like a little bit crazy, and then his tag team partner was like a martial artist. <laughs> Head cheese. Head cheese, yeah. Al Snow and Steve Blackman. That was It was so bad, but it was so funny. Because like, the guy just took himself way too seriously, and the other guy just didn't take him seriously enough. Well, from everything I've read, it's it, 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 he just didn't have the wherewithal, I guess, to have a proper wrestling persona. Yeah. And, you know, he had all the tools to be a badass in the ring, but other than that, he just was boring, didn't, I mean, talked in a monotone. When he talked, he didn't really care. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the, that's more important in wrestling than your athletic ability, because there are some great athletes out there that are horrible wrestlers, and then you, then you have people like Hulk Hogan, Horrible wrestler in the ring, but damn, if you were not a fan he of him, he was a showman. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I mean, what people got to remember about wrestling is that while the athletics athletics are very much involved in it, and these people train long and hard to do what they do, they are really telling a story. Yeah, and if you do not have a good character that people can relate to, or people have some sort of emotional reaction to, you're not going to make it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. Um, what what was the? Oh man, there was another tag team group, and it was kind of like funk and hip hop mixed together. So you had Grandmaster Sexay. Too cool. Too cool. Yeah, there you go. Rikishi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you had uh, the Godfather, which was super <laughs> funny. He'd like come in and help out the group every now and then. Yeah, and what was what were some of his lines like? Uh, he had the hoe train, yeah. which is... Come like get the on the hoe train! Hoe train! <laughs> yeah, I love that. And then, like, you had this weird change where they were kind of, like, cleaning their act up, and then you had the good father. The, the right to censor, one of my favorite factions in 2000. Stevie Richards was ahead of it. Then you had the good father. Yeah. You had Val Venus. You had Ivory. Bull Buchanan was in that group. Um... Steven Richards was a great mouthpiece, and I really think that that uh, faction could have gained better legs if they had a main event star uh, along with it. Yeah, and it's really hard to do that, because especially taking away a main event star to do something that's kind of new and maybe never been done before, and you could ruin someone's career by doing that. Not even even that. I, I, I think they just, they wanted to make goof on the parent uh, television council, the group that was um, coming up with all kinds of petitions to get rid of the sponsors for oh, yeah. uh, WWE yeah, yeah, yeah. at that time. Absolutely. It's just they didn't want to go all in with excuse me, with that by by making them mad, which is weird. You would think they would go all in because there is something to say about somebody I will never knock a parent that that wants that does that, during that time that told their kids not to, not to watch that show because there were some things that kids a young kid should not have been watching. No, that's just a fact. But when you try to make it to where other people who are of the proper age to watch that show, if you're making it harder for them to watch it, to the point now, I mean, the say what you will, but the PTC really 
did major damage to wrestling as we know it today. Oh, absolutely. Because uh, advertising dollars, people, even though wrestling brings great ratings, advertising dollars simply aren't there because there is a misconception that wrestling fans are inbred hicks who just realize they have thumbs. Well, the the other thing that you mentioned, too, is um, you, you, you have, like, this somewhat control over your children. My mom grounded my ass. Still made me want to watch wrestling. I I'd still liked watching wrestling. And then you had other people like Stone Cold Steve Austin, for example, where uh, multiple occasions he had hit women, air quotes around hit, but yeah, like, and then you have um, him like drinking in, in, uh, the ring, and I honestly, I learned to chug beer from Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> That's uh, why you don't get invited to parties. No, right? no, no, because <laughs> I, I get these like knee braces on and just start <laughs> start flipping tables. Does anybody got a cold beer for Sterling? Give me a hell yeah! Hell yeah! <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's just unique. Um, have you ever been to a WWE event? I have not. I have tried to go multiple times. Um, every time I've tried to go, something came up. Uh, they were. I, I lived in Fresno for a long time. We had the Coliseum there, so I was like, "Hey, let's get tickets because you got discounted tickets for being a student." Mm -hmm. No one wanted to go, so I'm like, "All right, I'll go by myself. I don't care." Yeah. And then when I go to buy tickets, sold out, and I was just like, "Oh my god!" Uh, and then I moved here, and I was supposed to go see NXT. Um, and then, uh, something came up, I wasn't able to go. And I was super bummed out. Oh, man. Me, I've been lucky. Uh, the very first show I went to was September 18th, 1989 at the Old Stadium Arena in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It was a house show. The main event was the Ultimate Warrior, who was the Intercontinental Champion at the time, facing off against Andre the Giant. Oh, man. And I remember it as if it happened yesterday. Andre comes out first. He's walking real slow. I hated him at the time, but when he walked out, even in the cheap seats, he was a mammoth, a monster. Absolutely. I just stayed quiet. I hated him. In fact, <laughs> in fact um, I've never watched The Princess Bride. What? Because... What? Yeah. What? He was a bad guy at the time that movie came out, and um, I never watched it. And I was, yeah, that, and I petitioned during my sixth grade graduation because that was a time that the Macho Man Randy Savage uh, turned against Hulk Hogan. Um, Ooh, yeah! Ooh, yeah! Dig it, yeah! Um, <laughs> I petitioned to have, for the sixth grade graduation, pomp and circumstance removed. Because oh, wow. I did not want to go down to the Macho Man's theme song. Now, granted, I failed, but anyway, <laughs> um, so... Maybe you didn't just, like, throw out a bunch of Slim Jims and... <laughs> just no, that was yeah. before the... the oh, okay, before okay, that, okay, but, okay, uh, okay. But no, um, no, so anyway, with Andre, he's walking down the ring real slow, but I'm just quiet, like, because I, I, he had a look on his face that I swear I was 13, but he would have heard me. And then he would have come into the audience and beat my ass. That's yeah, why. Dude, he's a huge giant of a man. Oh, mammoth! Um, he 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 holds the single record for most beers, dr uh, dr drunken, drank, in a single sitting. 
It's yeah. like 179 or something like that. Something insane like that. And then you yeah. see pictures of him holding a beer can, and it would be like me holding a Barbie beer can or something like the, that. The little, like, half cans for, like, uh, sodas. Or something, yeah. yeah. But just, yeah, he drank a lot. But uh, anyway, after that Ultimate Warriors music hits, it's like, and then he comes running down, running down the aisle, goes into the ring, runs the ropes, and then clotheslines Andre, pins him, and then runs back. The match was over in 30 seconds. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Yep. Oh, my God. And uh, I, knowing what I know now, Andre at the time could barely move. So it was. I was lucky just the fact that he showed up. Yeah. Oh, but, okay. Um, was he going through, like... Uh, oh, he could barely walk. He. It was take... I mean, the, the money was probably a big motivation for him at that time. Yeah. Um, but he, um, yeah, just could barely walk. It, but it's amazing too, because think you know, I was thinking back to you know when I first became a wrestling fan. That was around Russell, the build up to WrestleMania three, happening in my home state of Michigan. And at that time, Vince McMahon just threw everything he could at promotion for that. Yeah. And I loved back in the day too when you would open up the cable bill and there would be like a little flyer with like the the the, the card for the the pay per view. Gotcha. It, it was great. But, yeah. Uh, you know, just thinking back and the announcers. Whether it be uh, Gorilla Monsoon, Jesse Ventura, Vince McMahon, or Jesse Ventura, really did a lot to make Andre look more lethal than he actually was in the ring. And then you had people like Hogan. I mean, Hogan gets a bad rap for being a bad wrestler, but you take a look at WrestleMania three. you take a look at their rematch on the main event, February 5th, 1988, and Hogan made Andre look like a million bucks. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing, too, is, uh, I don't know if you ever watched his, like, reality show, Hulk Hogan. Hogan Um, knows best. Yeah, Hogan knows best. (laughs) But I remember watching an episode, and I wasn't, like, super into the show, but it just was on one day, and I was like, Hulk Hogan, okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, they went to Disneyland or some sort of uh, theme park, and they they got makeup-up to look like regular people. Uh, so they wouldn't be distinguishable. And then they went through um, the park, just regular clothes and stuff. And um, he was talking about his uh, joints, his muscles, uh, all of the surgeries that he's gone through because of that. And you don't really think about it because, yeah, it's fake. But in a way, it's not fake. I, the the and- bumps and bruises are real. The, the high-flying... Uh, throws and all that cool stuff is real, and it has a real impact on the body. And and that's the thing. I don't like the term fake. It is staged. It is scripted. It is choreographed. What you are seeing is not an actual sport, but you cannot deny the athleticism that, that they put into it. Absolutely. Whether you like wrestling or not, you have to admit that what they do in the ring week in and week out is a, an amazing athletic feat that not many can do. I... I haven't gone to, I would say, a professional wrestling event like uh, uh, WWE or WWF or WCW, any of those uh, throughout the history, but when I lived in California, there was a lot of um, uh, Lucha Libre. So it wasn't like a a main event kind of thing, but you paid a few bucks, you got a few beers, and you watched um, Lucha Libre, Mm -hmm. which was always fun. Because you have uh, masked wrestlers, and they're always very gimmicky when they have, like, the uh, four little people versus, like, the big dude, or, 
Um, you have like people who are very acrobatic, and they're doing flips and stunts and all that stuff, and it's so cool. But I got to see uh, El Dimon, which was I, I love his mask. I have it somewhere in mm-hmm. uh, in my closet. But it was El Dimon and uh, Diablo Azul, so the Blue Devil, and it was so good, so good, and I. I understand a little bit of Spanish. Don't really need to understand it to enjoy a show like that. Yeah, I think the one of the greatest matches I ever saw live was July of 2009. Um, WWE held a pay-per-view in Sacramento, The Bash, and it ended up they ended up having what I what I think is the second best match of 2009. The first being the um, first meeting of Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. Oh, man. That was an amazing match. But the one I saw live was Chris Jericho, the Intercontinental Champion, versus Rey Mysterio. And it was title versus mask. Mm-hmm. And just the emotion in that match... The you know work rate from both. I mean, Rey Mysterio is at the, even at that time was having issues with his knees, but you get him in the ring and he's flying yep. everywhere. Yep. And the he, end of that match, yeah, he lost his mask in that match, didn't he? Technically, yes, but he had two masks on because yeah. near the end of the ma- end of the match, Jericho rips it off, thinking he won, and then he turns around. Ray has his, um, his another mask on, and then he pins him for the titles. So, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was a good one. Um, but then, of course, the top match in two thousand nine, uh, Shawn Michaels versus the Undertaker. I mean, I will have to say that probably is top of my list of greatest matches of all time. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think the big reason alone I like that is that. It brought me back to being a kid again because I was screaming at the TV <laughs> for for Michaels to win. Yeah, and it, it just it it brought the emotion back in. I loved it. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite fights that I actually got to see was uh, Mick Foley, uh, and he was fighting the Undertaker, I think, and uh, I think he got choke slammed through a steel cage. <laughs> The 1998 King of the Ring. That was not the only thing. He they started off the fight up at the top of the Hell in a Cell. Yeah. Um, and the previous Hell in a the fir- that was the Mick Foley and Mink, the, the Mick Foley and Undertaker went, was the second ever Hell in a Cell match ever. Yeah. The first one was Shawn Michaels versus the Undertaker, and I guess th- there was some criticism about that first Hell in a Cell match about how the top of the cell looked the way it did um, because I guess there was some bumping that they did you know what they called when they fall to the ground yeah and they they thought it was a little too secure so they loosened up the top of the cage oh wow and I know when they started when Undertaker and Mankind first started the match at the top they start walking on the top towards the announce tables and then their feet kind of go through one of the cage at first you think they're both going to fall but then they um, they they get their balance and then that's when Taker throws uh, mankind off off the cage, and you know he takes a miraculous uh, bump onto the Spanish announce table. Oh my God! He dislocated his shoulder, but yeah. it, it gave a great image when they were taking him up the aisle in the on the stretcher, and then he gets off the stretcher and then pushes everybody aside and climbs back up the cage, which is a mammoth feet alone with yeah. a separated shoulder. And then he gets choke slammed through uh, the Hell in a Cell, and that is doubly bad for a couple of reasons. One, 
the WWE at that time, their rings were still not stiffer. Yeah. They were stiffer because th- th- it was a tradition that goes all the way back when Dick Ebersol was producing the Saturday Night's main event for them. They felt that a more bouncy ring made it look less professional, I guess, yeah. so they had a more stiff ring. Secondly, there was a chair on top of the, on top of the cell, that. too. And then when, when Mankind went through it, the chair landed on his face yeah. and broke a number of his teeth. And so, I, if I'm not mistaken, he had a nice little hole in his uh, the bottom of his lip yeah. next to his chin. And he, looking at the, sk- the camera, stuck his tongue out through the hole. And that was, I would say, one of like the most iconic endings to a fight. Oh no! It went beyond that. Oh I mean, yeah, because I mean, he was—he should not have fought. If that happened today, they would have immediately killed the match. But you know, he went through, and the, he, with all the injuries he had, he still brought out thumbtacks, and he was still choke slammed oh, on the thumbtacks. It's—it's an emotional match to watch. But knowing what I mean, knowing what I know now about Mick Foley's health, it's—and the older I get, the more it's just like, was it really worth it? Because he had the talent to, you know, get the emotions from the crowd without having to do that. Yeah. Yet, he, yet because of his look, he felt he needed to. And that was unfortunate. It's not even like his WCW days, though. Um, when he was with WCW, one of the... He was Cactus Jack back then. He was then. Cactus Jack. Yeah. And one of, the, one of his uh, things during that time was, there was they had a leader there, Bill Watts, who decided... Hey, it'd be a great idea to take all the mats off, off out of the side of the ring because that makes our wrestlers look tougher. And then Mick Foley would do this thing to where he would um, be on the ring and then somebody would kick him off and then he would just, what they call taking a bump, fall down onto just cement. Yeah. And it's just like, ouch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If anybody's falling on cement, that's that does not feel good. Yeah, and I remember when uh, WWE came to town here back in February. He was still the GM of Raw at that time, and he walked very slow to the ring. Yeah, I mean, but he still has he still has it. A, a, you know, mentally for the most part, he's still there. I'm sure he probably has memory issues, like uh, plenty of people through that time. But uh, but uh, yeah, real tough about that match. Now what? would you say turned you on to wrestling? What did you like about it? Um, I mean, one, the showmanship, but, like, the badassery of the dudes. That was always cool. And then you had uh, the women, the vixens. Um, it, it was just fun. It was awesome to watch. And, like, when you have a younger teen, and, you know, and you're trying to figure out what is like manly and tough and cool and all that stuff and you're just like hey we're manly we're tough we're cool (laughs) and it's like oh my god you totally are and um i mean it was always fun and then yeah me and my friends were imitating wrestling and doing all this stupid stuff and fighting each other and i mean i got into boxing i got into uh olympic style wrestling things like that and it wasn't more because I liked fighting, but it was more because I liked um, competition. And that, that's always been around, and that's always been in my blood. I've played sports since I was little, uh, t-ball, you know. And then that just kind of led into more and more things. Right. For me, 
late 80s, you know, what, you know, being raised by my mom, I think a part of it for me was certainly looking for a male role model, which is why, you know, I was a fan of Hulk Hogan at the time. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I, I was probably the last generation that had so many choices for wrestling available. Yeah, and um, that was, I was going to say, the golden era of wrestling because oh yeah. it was so much fun. I mean, because when I would come home from work, um, the world-class championship wrestling based out of Texas. They had a deal with ESPN to show their greatest hits uh, throughout the day, which happened about 3 o'clock. And, you know, we're talking the best of the Freebirds versus the Von Erics. Um, You know, just amazing stuff down south. You had... um, Jim Crockett Promotions, which was on every Saturday night, 6.05, with the World the world Championship Wrestling Show, um, you know, where you saw some of the best wrestling in the world. Um, Clash of the Champions, of course, where, I mean, what really made me a wrestling fan for life was Sting versus uh, oh, Ric Flair at the first Clash of the Champions. Their 45-minute time limit draw, uh, man... That really? is hardcore wrestling right there. The Four Horsemen. Oh, oh my goodness, that was that was a time. And then of course WCW, uh, what they became even through uh, their down period. I mean, I, the first live television show that I was able to attend was an episode of WCW during the Vince Russo era. Mm. And yeah, they were trying to throw everything at at the screen with hoping something would stick, but. You know, they had this match, um, because I just watched it last night again, Um, Billy Kidman versus Horace Hogan. Horace Hogan was probably, like, your height, and, you know, just arms like refrigerators. (laughs) Billy Kidman is this short little guy. He was great in the ring, but just not someone you would realistically think would have a chance. Yeah. And then Hulk Hogan comes out, beats them both up, and then, you know, has Billy pin Horace Hogan, who is um, legitimately Hulk Hogan's nephew. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, it, it just made no sense because Hulk Hogan and Billy Kidman were supposed to be having a feud at that time. But again, you just never bought it. It's just like, what are you doing? Yeah. I, uh, I'm i going to get this out of here because it's... Harping. Yeah, squeaky chair. Yeah. Um, I... I kind of stepped away from wrestling for a long time, and it was when it started getting really gimmicky, and um, you started seeing people leave, and then a bunch of no-name faces, and people you couldn't really get behind. Uh, what was one of them? The, the Hurricane. I was August 27th, 2001. That was the first time that Shane Helms yeah. became the Hurricane, so I was there when he first was yeah. the Hurricane. No, I saw that, that was too. in Grand Rapids, yeah. That it... I never really enjoyed that era, and that was when they were pushing for their, like, PG-13 kind of mantra as well, so I kind of, I drew back a little bit. Yeah, I I get it. I do think during that time as well, after they bought WCW, Uh they they just didn't care anymore. Well, yeah, and then uh, you had, like, guys like Goldberg and uh, other guys like John Cena, who are, like, just titans in wrestling, and... It's like, oh, well, who's going to win this fight with John Cena? Oh, it's John Cena. And, and that's a shame, too, because I, unlike some, I definitely think that Cena is up there with your Hogans, with your Rocks, with your Stone Colds. Yeah. But there is definitely definitely a critique you can have about his character. When you have somebody who's presented as such a badass that it's beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's going to win his match no matter what, mm-hmm. why, what 
what is going to impel me to watch. Yeah. You know, there has to, uh, for the best performers out there, Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper that started a WrestleMania era, there was concern that Hogan could be beat. There was a legitimate feeling that, you know, those were two equals put together. Stone Cold and The Rock. Yeah. Again, two people that, you know, could easily beat each other on any day. The Rock and Triple H. Absolutely. You need, you need that vulnerable champion who is able to come back and, and yeah. win at the last moment, not doing what... Because I remember, I forgot when exactly, but they had an episode to where they had John Cena and Randy Orton fight the rest of the roster huh. on an episode of Raw, and then they won. Okay. It's just like, yeah. okay. That, well, and that, that was the other thing, too, is you have like someone like John Cena who just didn't have a antithesis. You know, he didn't have somebody to butt heads with. You had, you know, Brock Lesnar, but... Who cares? And then you have um, someone like Goldberg, or, or I mean, like these guys are, who are getting a little bit older, and it just it kind of drove me away. And that's the thing because with Cena, when he has a good partner to play with, I mean, look at Cena versus CM Punk, Money yeah. in the Bank, two thousand eleven, yeah. classic match. Yeah, um, Cena versus Edge great matches that they put together. When you have someone that is of an equal stature with John Cena facing off against him, he puts on a great show. Yep. But it, it's a matter of putting them in a vulnerable spot. And then you look at what they're doing today, trying to force Roman Reigns down, down people's throats. Yeah. And I, there are some elements to Roman Reigns that I see what they what they think is the future in him yeah um i remember when he came to town in february it was weird seeing the audience react to him because they would boo him mercilessly but then when he was in his match against samoa joe which was a pretty kick-ass match yeah um every time he hit one of his big moves the crowd cheer yeah yeah just schizophrenic it's just like if you really don't <laughs> like the guy why are you cheering his moves it's fun to watch uh, and that that was like the big thing too is um, I didn't get back into comics again or uh, uh, wrestling again until I found the comic SPKO Super Pro KO mm. and um, they had just kind of like these iconic lists of characters and it reminded me of Mankind Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, Kurt Angle you know like the the guy who was a professional athlete and then became a wrestler and, and all these different things. And I was like, man, what's this, what, what is the state of wrestling right now? And I look back at it, and then you had NXT kind of making its way up. And I was oh, yeah. like, oh, man, this is super, super fun. And then you have uh, guys like CM Punk who were electrifying, I would have to say. They're fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Give it a, give it a look, see what's up. And it, it is a lot of fun. Um, I got to see... Uh, what's his name? The... Cass? Cass? Big Cass. Big Cass. Okay. Yeah. So you have Big Cass, and what's the other guy's name? Enzo Amore. Enzo Amore! <laughs> a certified G. <laughs> and a bona fide stud, and you can't, can't teach that. <laughs> and, uh, man, and... Um, I moved into my uh, apartment uh, in, like, Beaverton, mm -hmm. and my, my roommate was super into wrestling, and he was calling me Cass for a long time, because I had no <laughs> idea, like, what, what, what do you mean? And he's like, you don't know about Cass? And I was like, no, no. And he showed me their, like, intro, and they're, like, just lighting it up and trash talking, and it, it's the 
best. Oh, I saw it live. I'm, when when yeah. y'all came to town this February, I went with Maura, because um, she had to see that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just seeing them come out, you know, it, it reminded me of the attitude era as they call it because yes. it was audience Absolutely. participation it, it gets the audience into it you care more about them that even though they weren't highly featured on that particular episode no. they still got the biggest cheers because they yeah. got the audience and they had something that is memorable and easy to re- like uh, involve the audience with which was a lot of fun yeah. and they keep it the same you, you keep it the same you're going to have the same result every well, time. Not th- anymore, because they did break up the tag team. No. Yeah, when can, did that happen? Uh, about a couple of months ago. Oh, my God. Um, and then they had... Uh, it, it became a final match. because It was a street fight the other day um, where Enzo faced off a bit against Big Cass, and Big Cass ended up uh, getting a knee injury. No. Yeah, so they shipped Enzo... Like off a real knee injury? A real oh, knee injury. You know you're a long-time wrestling fan when you know the when somebody has a legitimate injury compared to a storyline injury. Yeah. Uh, who Who is um, Samoa Joe's big um, rival? I forget his name right now. Um, well, right now he's in the title picture. Um, he did have a great match at... <laughs> WWE Great Balls of Fire against Brock Lesnar. Okay. Um, he was supposed to face John Cena, but he has an injury as well. Uh, when when Samoa Joe made his WWE debut, I remember like Triple H was like talking. And he was like, "Oh yeah, you, you know, I you were supposed to be the next whatever." And I I found this guy Samoa Joe. I forget oh, his name. Uh, Seth Rollins. Seth Rollins. So you saw in their fight, uh, Samoa Joe ends the fight in a submission with Seth Rollins and you saw I don't know if you saw it but Seth Rollins Twisted destroyed his knee. his knee and he he like you could see his face next to his uh, Seth Rollins face Samoa Joe right next to Seth Rollins and I swear to god it looked like he was mouthing are you okay he did yeah he did and it, it, it wasn't destroyed. He did have to have some work, but he was able to come back at WrestleMania and have, okay. have a good match. So gotcha. it, it, everybody breathed a sigh of relief there. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I just remember seeing it, and I was like, oh, no. I, I do got to say, though, it we there have been better times in wrestling, but we are in a spot to where... It's really a good time to be a wrestling fan. Yeah, it's I mean, a lot of the, fun. The, the WWE alone with the WWE Network, which is revolutionary in my opinion. I, I think, think that is pretty amazing because, you know, not only are they consolidating wrestling, but they're also uh, building it with, um, I would say, a minor league with, like, NXT. And that's not even a minor league anymore, really, because yeah, yeah. they got um, one of their big things that are coming up. They're building up this faction with Kyle O'Reilly, Bobby Fish, and the amazing Adam Cole. All three of them, um, and I think Roderick Strong may be with them as well, all four of them used to be with this group called Ring of Honor. Yeah. And if you've ever watched Ring of Honor Wrestling, you know some of the greatest names in wrestling today got their start there, and they currently have some great performers in their own right uh, with that organization today. Um, they're owned by the Sinclair Broadcasting Group, so you can watch it on you know syndicated programming, I think, in Portland. It's on, like, Saturday night, 11.30 on some channel. But you can also download the Fight TV app and watch each episode for free there. Nice. But 
Yeah, I mean, we got so much to choose from. We got the WWE Network with the past, the present, and the future all mm-hmm. in one spot that you can watch. You got the Fight TV app. You got various other promotions like Lucha Underground on the El Rey Network. Lucha Underground is super fun to watch, too, because it's, uh, it's also, I think it's on Netflix. Yeah, the first two seasons were on Netflix, and that's another another amazing thing too. The fact that you know they the the, the thing that makes Lucha Underground different, um, if you've never watched it, is the fact that they do treat it as if it's a TV show. Yeah, it's because the WWE, even though it is a TV show, yes, they do still sort of treat it like a sporting event. Mm-hmm. So you know they they don't have defined stories that last within a certain group of episodes. Yeah. It just goes on and on, whereas. Lucha Underground, it's a soap opera. It's a graphic novel. Uh, you have the same thing with uh, Glow Women of Wrestling as well. Uh, you mentioned, and I, I started watching it, and it was hard to get past the first few episodes. But once yeah. you get past what, like the fourth episode, it's really, really good. Yeah. And we, go, go ahead. ahead. No, uh, no. Okay. I, I, it's really fun to see uh, everybody getting into it because what's more empowering than a strong woman who could kick your ass.